for this morning. You are good, and uh, we thank you for your faithfulness in our lives. God, we ask that today that um, your Holy Spirit would purify our hearts. Pray that you'd draw near to us in a special way, and that you'd cleanse us, you'd wash us, you'd help us to leave here actually feeling clean, not just some sort of a superficial feeling, but Lord, I believe that's part of what you do is you purify us and you wash us again and again. I pray you do that today. Lord, I pray that you would make us keenly aware of your presence among us. And Jesus, I thank you for dying and paying the price and rising again that the very presence of God, the very Spirit of God could be near us and in us and with us. Please glorify your name today, Jesus. Fill each one of us with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. Give me words to speak in the moment that I need it, but fill each one here with your spirit that they might be able to receive it as well too. We love you. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Well, good morning. Uh, If you got your Bibles, grab them. As I've been saying the last couple weeks, go somewhere, because we'll be everywhere. Maybe the book of Acts might be a good place. We'll definitely be in Acts at some point. Um, <laughs> doing a series right now through the summer in our, in our doctrinal statement. This morning, we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. Over the last uh, several weeks, we've talked about the Trinity, the Father, uh, Jesus, the Son, last week and this week, the Holy Spirit, uh, usually referred to as the third person of the Trinity. Just a word again, um, I've said this several times as we've been going through this, but just like why, why we're doing this, is that um, don't think that we're really doing something different now than what we usually do. So when we teach through the Bible verse by verse usually, or kind of a chapter at a, at a time with our Bible reading plan, um, we're still teaching doctrine then. What we're doing now is we're just kind of, um, doctrine just simply means a set of beliefs, okay? And the Bible, here's the thing about the Bible. The Bible has to be interpreted, right? The Bible has to be interpreted. So you can't just say, well, I believe the Bible. I mean, that's good. We're for, we're for the Bible. Believe the Bible. But you have to ask the question, what does that mean? Not just what does it say, but what does it mean? You have to interpret it, and you have to interpret it rightly. And so our doctrinal statement, there are more um, doctrines than we have headings for in our formal doctrinal statement as a church. However, these are the, are the big ones. Like, what does the Bible say about the Trinity? We talked about that. What does the Bible say about God the Father, about God the Son, this morning about God the Holy Spirit? Um, uh, in a couple weeks, we'll be talking about salvation, what the Bible says about the Bible, what the Bible says about assurance, what the Bible says about the church, what the Bible says about heaven and hell and the eternal, and the eternal state. We can ask these questions, and we want to go to the Bible and kind of give a summary of what the Bible of what the Bible says, okay? Um, but in the end, all of this is to help us know our God better so that we would worship him rightly, okay? All, I said, I think it was the first week, all theology must end in doxology. Just a nice, rhymy way to say that all, all truth is to end in worship or to end in praise. That's, that's what we're doing. And this morning, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm just going to read, if you guys got one of these, um, one of these handouts as you walked in, hopefully. I'm going to read the bold letters at the top. This is our formal doctrinal statement. Um, we won't, I, I want to I talk about a lot of things um, that are not on this sheet today, 
but we'll at least read the first part here, the formal doctrinal statement at the top of your page there in bold letters. We believe that God, the Holy Spirit, so he, he's God, we've already mentioned that over the last several weeks, but we believe that God, the Holy Spirit, convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. For those of you that call Mercy Hill home, back before Easter we were going through the Upper Room Discourse, um, uh, John uh, 13 through 17. Uh, in that section, this is what Jesus said of the Holy Spirit, that when he comes, that he's going to convict the world in regards to sin and righteousness and judgment. We believe that that is his primary job, that the Holy Spirit is drawing people to himself through the proclamation of the gospel, through even preparing hearts before they hear the gospel. We believe that God is the one who saves. He's the one who saves. He comes after us. Jesus said, I came to seek and save that which is lost. In the same way today, the Holy Spirit comes to continue the work of Jesus. Yes, through his people, but also drawing people, preparing hearts to hear and to receive the gospel that they might be saved. And part of salvation is being convicted of sin and of the righteousness of God, his holiness, and of your unrighteousness, and of judgment, that there is a coming judgment, that the primary thing that Jesus saves us from is the wrath of God, okay? And so he convicts the world in regards to sin and righteousness and judgment. We don't do this, he does this. We speak the truth, we speak that it's true, but the Holy Spirit is ultimately the one that brings that saving conviction, okay? He is the supernatural agent in regeneration. Regeneration means to be made alive, Okay, the Spirit of God makes people alive in their hearts. Salvation is a miracle. Yes, you will make a decision. Yes, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. But it is a miracle that happens in the human heart by the Holy Spirit. You were dead, the Bible says, and you are made alive. That is what regeneration means. The Holy Spirit does that miracle. In the heart. That is the only way that salvation happens. Salvation is not found in man. It is found in God. He makes people alive. All believers are baptized with the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. He then indwells and seals them unto the day of redemption. Let me explain this. Um, and we're just, we're just jumping right in here again. We're going to cover a lot of ground today. But all believers are baptized with the Holy Spirit. It is not possible for you to be born again and not have been baptized with the Spirit. Okay, the, the Spirit, when he makes you alive, one of the things that the Spirit also is coming into your life is the Bible speaks of it as you being baptized with the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. If you'll flip on the back of your sheet, uh, yes, this one is on here at the very top of the page on the, the scripture side, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13. Paul says, for just as the one body or for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, listen, we were all baptized into one body. Now the we there, he's speaking to believers, people in the church. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into the body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. Now the reason why this is important and the reason I'm, I'm pressing this, and I don't just want to gloss by it, is because there's a lot of teaching um, in other uh, denominations and kind of strands of Christianity, and I would not say that they're not Christian, but I would disagree with them um, wholeheartedly on this point, is that there is not, one, to be saved, the thing that changed you is that you were baptized with the Spirit. Now, you might not have felt baptized. It's not about a feeling. You might have felt clean, as I mentioned earlier. You might have, you might have had, a, had a sense of forgiveness of your sins in some way. But 
you were baptized with the Spirit into that moment, you do not need to seek a second baptism of the Spirit. Okay? And we're going to talk about the difference here a little bit between baptism in the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. There's a difference between those things and the way that the Bible uses them. But if you, are, if you are a Christian, you have been baptized with the Holy Spirit. You do not need to seek a second baptism. As I said there, 1 Corinthians 12, for by one Spirit we were all baptized into the body of Christ. He then indwells and seals them unto the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit, when you believe, comes into your life, makes you alive, regenerates you, makes you alive, and now he indwells you. He lives in you. And he's not going to leave because he's faithful. Because the blood has been shed. He didn't save you because you saved you because of Jesus. Because of the blood of the Lamb was slain. That which is holy can now dwell with that which is unholy, us. We've been justified. We've been declared righteous in Christ. And now the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. He will not leave you. He will not leave you. Because he's faithful. He then indwells and seals them unto the day of redemption. This would be uh, Ephesians chapter 1. I believe it's verse uh, 13. That we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Okay? He desires to continually fill each believer with his power so that we might serve effectively for God's glory. Now, I'm going to gloss over that fairly quickly because that's what we're going right now because we're going to spend the majority of our time talking about this this morning about what it looks like to be filled with the spirit baptism an act at salvation you are baptized with the holy spirit he comes into your life you're baptized into christ by his spirit placed into his body but we are to seek to be continually filled with his spirit so that we might serve effectively for his glory we believe all the gifts of the holy spirit are active today and to and are to be eagerly pursued and exercised with love for the building up of the body of Christ. When Christ ascended on high, Ephesians 4 says, he gave gifts to men. It's, it's a picture of a conquering uh, like military um, commander or king. Christ conquered death in the grave, Satan, sin, and death. He ascends on high, and just like a conquering king or conquering uh, commander of an army would then plunder the enemy, and give out the gifts to the people. That's what he does. And he gives these gifts to his people. He gives us the gifts of the Holy Spirit so that we can effectively serve. To think that we can carry on the mission of God apart from the, Spirit, apart from the gifts that the Spirit of God gives is arrogance and foolishness. We need what God has provided, what Christ has provided, by giving us the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be able to carry on the mission effectively and to be built up as the body of Christ. This is why he's given them to us. We believe that all the gifts of the Holy Spirit are active today and are to be eagerly pursued and exercised with love for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, jump down to the bottom here to the affirmations and denials, okay? Because again, and what we're trying to do in the affirmations and denials is again, we, we believe in being transparent about what you're gonna hear taught here kind of over the long run. We're not trying to like hide and like, so, oh, we don't really believe that because we know that you don't, we, you disagree with it and you know, can't we all just be unified? Listen, we have to be unified around the truth, okay? We can't be unified around unity. We have to be unified around the truth. And so we're telling you plainly what we believe the Bible to teach, okay? So in these affirmations and denials, we're just trying to be even more explicit with what we believe and what we do not believe because to believe certain things means that you're not going to believe other certain things. 
Not everything is compatible, okay? We affirm that every true disciple of Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit living in them and should seek to live moment by moment in communion with and dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit. We're gonna, again, we're going to talk more about that here in a little bit. Live in communion with and dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit for all that Christ commands of us as his people. In fact, it is impossible to live the Christian life apart from the Holy Spirit's enabling power. The Christian life, you've heard me say this before, the Christian life is not difficult. It is impossible. We can only live it in the supernatural power of the Spirit or we will not live it effectively. Since the Holy Spirit is very God of very God, we also affirm that believers should live with expectation that we can experience his supernatural power for the sake of being effective witnesses, overcoming sin and being delivered from demonic forces, as well as exercising spiritual gifts for the building up of the body of Christ to the glory of God. The Holy Spirit is God. He is real, and he wants to make himself real in our lives, okay? Um, I'm so, as I read this, I'm just ready to let it fly right now, okay? And I'm trying to hold back so I can not overrun my notes and say things that I want to say this morning um, in an orderly, in somewhat of an orderly fashion. But let me, let me just say this, um, I, over the last couple weeks or months, um, I have uh, not haphazardly, but I've, I've, you know, I've called out some false prophets, some false teachers by name. Um, I've talked a lot as we went through the book of First John, as we uh, went through the book of Jude, which, which talks about those things. Um, uh, I've described false teaching and where I believe it exists, although obviously all that I said was not exhaustive by any, by any, stand, by, by any stretch. And so I've, I, have, uh, I have poked that theological bear, and I don't regret doing so. I believe that all that I said was, was true there. Um, let me poke another bear. This would be the bear, this would be our bear. I'm an equal opportunity bear poker, okay? And that is, there's a false dichotomy within the church where people seem to be either, they would, even they might not say this, although sometimes they do, but they tend to be like Holy Spirit people or they're more Bible people. That is a ridiculous divide. The Holy Spirit and the Bible are on the same team. Amen? They're on the same team. Now let me say this is that functionally, functionally, the camp that many of us are in, and this would be my concern for us is Mercy Hill, again, I'm, I'm an equal opportunity bear poker, so let me poke our bear, is that functionally your trinity is Father, Son, and Holy Bible, and not Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Is that we need, and we need to understand that 
the truth that is in this word that we love, that we just simply every week, not just here, but in small churches, discipleship meetings, we open up this book, we open up the truth of the word of God, and we just ask, what does it say? What does it mean? How do I obey? What does this mean for my life right now? What do I need, what do I need to change? We are constantly asking the word of God to, to, to change us. But what happens is that many times, if we are not, we need to be aware of our need for the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. Folks, what we do here, the mission that God has given us, it is not just an academic exercise. We need the power of God. It is supernatural. The Holy Spirit is real. He can do anything. He is very God of very God. And to think that we do not need his supernatural presence and power and manifestations of that power. Because, well, we have the truth. Yes, the truth is good. We need that as well, too. But to think that we do not need his power uh, is foolish. Because we do. We need, we need his power. And I'm going I'm to talk more about that later as we go on. Let me read the denials here. We deny that believers must seek a second work of grace or second baptism. Again, those are in kind of uh, uh, scare quotes there because that's what it's often referred to as some sort of a second work of grace or second baptism of the Holy Spirit subsequent to salvation. We believe you got the Holy Spirit at salvation. That's what changed you. That's what made you alive. That's what made you desire God in some way was that the Holy Spirit came into your life. We further deny that one must speak in tongues as evidence of such a baptism. Now, this is very pointed. Some of you might not have any idea what I'm talking about. Others of you might. But many times uh, when people say that you're a believer but that yet you, or ask you if you're a believer but then ask you if you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit or have, been, or have um, experienced the second work of grace, many times what they want you to do is show evidence of that by speaking in tongues. The Bible absolutely does not teach that. Okay. Um, it does not te- teach that every single person needs to be baptized with the Holy Spirit again, and that also that that's only evidenced by speaking in tongues. That's just not true. While we acknowledge all the gifts of the Spirit as still being operable today, including tongues, uh, when rightly understood within the context of Scripture, we also acknowledge that many counterfeit spirits exist within the greater church today, and believers must be diligent to discern between that which is authentic and that which is counterfeit. Now, we looked at this when we went through the book of 1 John and also Jude uh, not that long ago, um, during May, I believe it was. Um, there are many false spirits. For John uses very strong language. He says that the spirit of the Antichrist has gone out into the world. That's what the truth of the word of God says. Everything that the enemy does, he counterfeits. So there is the real spirit of God. God himself, third person of the Trinity, and there are counterfeit spirits, the spirit of Antichrist um, that connects itself with, with false teaching or, uh, and that, in, that uh, uh, produces that false teaching. Um, we also deny the legitimacy of the New Apostolic Reformation as well as the Word of Faith movement. Um, you might not be familiar with, with what these are. Again, this is very, this is very pointed. Uh, we don't apologize for it. We're just trying to be clear. Is that there are... Um, uh, streams and uh, what would call themselves Christianity, 
today of the Word of Faith movement. This is usually, Word of Faith movement is kind of the, the old guard, the old school name for this. Um, uh, it's like name it, claim it theology that you can speak things into existence with your words. Again, I went over this uh, in a sermon uh, when we were in First John 4 not long ago, so I won't spend a lot of time on it. Um, but thinking that we can just speak things into existence with our words, that's absolutely not true. Um, uh, the Bible says that God does that. He speaks things into existence. We are to speak life and death. Life and death is in the power of the tongue, the Bible says in the book of James. But what, it, what it's talking about there is like if, if I'm always going to be speaking mean negative things to Clara, not that I would ever do that, but Clara, you're just right in front of me. But if I'm, if I'm constantly telling Clara just how horrible she is speaking negativity with, with my tongue, of course it's going to produce death in Clara and I's relationship, right? That's all, that's all that it's talking about. Um, and so... Uh, but we don't, we don't believe this. Many times this is also accompanied with health, wealth, and prosperity teaching that if you just uh, believe that you're going to be rich, sow a seed into some anointed guy's ministry that you're going to receive back a harvest, you know, tenfold or a hundredfold or whatever. Uh, there's a great love of money there. Uh, the New Apostolic Reformation is just simply a repackaged word of faith movement um, in more recent years within the last 10 to 20 years, um, and we deny the legitimacy of those movements. Um, you still with me? We're just jumping right into it this morning, aren't we? Going for it. Here's, uh, let, me, let me get to kind of some, a, a few points about the Holy Spirit here and get into the Bible. Here, here's kind of some things that I want us to get from this this morning, although I wanted to cover some of those foundational things so you can see where we're at and what we believe. Um, here's what I want us to get. I want us to understand the privilege of having the Holy Spirit. I want us to understand the power of the Holy Spirit. And then I want to give us some practices to know how to, as much as I can, uh, practice walking in the Spirit as the Bible commands us. But first of all, the privilege of having the Holy Spirit. I, again, I, I think we miss this. I think we miss this. Is that when the Spirit came, he came on the day of Pentecost. And go to the book of Acts. Go to the book of Acts here. Acts chapters 1 and 2. Acts chapter 1, Jesus has risen from the dead. And again, I'm just kind of skimming the surface here so we understand what's going on. Acts chapter 1 Verse 6, the risen Christ has been meeting with the disciples. And it says, so when they came together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. In other words, yeah, someday this kingdom's going to come down fully, finally, completely, totally. But not now. Then verse 8, he says, but you will receive power. Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and all Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now jump over to chapter two, verse one. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. And don't get freaked out by the word tongues. It's just the word languages. That's all it means, languages. 
and began to speak with other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, now, first of all, the privilege, the privilege of having the Holy Spirit. This, it, there's a reason why the Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. Okay, so don't have time, we could spend not just the entire morning, but entire mornings on this very briefly, okay? But you had these seven Jewish festivals in the Old Testament. The first festival of the year that Jesus fulfilled in his death was Passover, right? Jesus is our Passover lamb. He's the perfect spotless lamb of God. Passover celebrating when God brought him out of Egypt, brought him out, okay? Um, to take him into the promised land. Jesus died on Passover, okay? The first Sunday after Passover, and it would kind of rotate year to year, but on the, day that, on, the, on the year that Jesus died, Passover was on a Sunday. The first Sunday after Passover, okay, was the harvest of first fruits, okay? This would happen, again, the first Sunday after Passover. Jesus rose from the dead on the day of first fruits, Okay, so he's the Passover lamb, he dies, his resurrection happens on the festival of first fruits where they would, they would be gathering, it was the first fruits of the barley harvest, okay, there were several different harvests throughout the year, but he was the first fruits of the harvest, meaning that Jesus is the first fruits of our resurrection someday, okay, so what happened to Jesus will happen to us when we die when Christ, when Christ comes back. So Passover, Jesus is the spotless lamb of God, first fruits, he rises from the dead on that, on that day. And then Pentecost. Pentecost means 50. Pentecost in the Bible is all, this is where it gets a little bit confusing. It's the same festival, but it's referred to as the Feast of Weeks or Shavuot. Um, they say today in Hebrew. And it means 50. So what would happen, and, or, and it's also called the Feast of Weeks because it was seven weeks. Seven days in a week, seven weeks. That's 49 days. You with me? I'm not great at math, but all right. Seven times seven is 49, okay, so after seven weeks, and then the next day, boom, 50, Pentecost, was when they would celebrate this other festival where they would bring in the first fruits of the wheat harvest, of the wheat harvest, right? So Jesus was the first fruits of the barley harvest, the festival of first fruits now, 50 days later after Passover was um, this harvest of Pentecost. What do you see on this day of Pentecost when the Spirit comes, you see a harvest of people being brought in. What's going to happen here is the Spirit comes, everybody runs together, they wonder what's happening because there's a manifestation of fire and of wind and of people praising God in these, in these other languages. And if you'll jump to verse 41 of chapter 2, uh, after Peter stands up and preaches, that they must believe in Jesus and that they can have forgiveness of sins. Verse 41 says, So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Pentecost, it was a harvest festival and there is a great harvest as the Spirit comes. Not only is it a picture of this Old Testament feast of Pentecost, but it's also kind of a parallel of uh, it, it's the better giving of the law, okay? So when Moses went up on Mount Sinai in the Old Testament after they, after they came out, he comes down with the law and they are dancing around the golden calf, okay? And he comes down and because of that sin 
And the people had, had kind of just let loose in their pagan debauchery and dancing around this calf. 3,000 people die. 3,000 people get killed. The judgment of the Lord, Lord as, the law, as the law came down. But at Pentecost, now Jesus ascends up and comes back down, not with the law, but with the Spirit. Instead of death, there is life. You see? And so, um, just so you don't think that I'm making some of this stuff up, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul touches on this, and he compares the Spirit to the giving of the law. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7, says, Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone, so he's speaking of the law here that was given to Moses. The ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at, the fa- at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory, listen, in the ministry of condemnation, that was the giving of the law at Sinai, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had no glory had What's once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. In other words, this, this new covenant, this coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, even though the Old Testament law was glorious to the place where Moses' face was shining, okay, he's saying it has no glory compared to the glory of the Holy Spirit coming now. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more... Well, what is permanent? Have glory. So here's the story. Very quickly, hang with me here. In Exodus chapter 34, um, what Paul's referring to there in 2 Corinthians is that in Exodus 34, Moses went back up because he came down the first time. They're dancing around the golden calf. He breaks the tablets in anger. People die. He goes back up. He gets another set of tablets. He comes back down. And as he comes down, his face was, was glowing. Here's what it says in Exodus 34. It says, When Moses came down from Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with the Lord. A couple verses later, verse 34, it says, Whenever Moses went in before the Lord, this was into the tabernacle, okay? Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil, okay? Um, that was covering his face because, you know, you're talking to somebody with a glowing face, it freaks him out, right? So Moses put a veil over his face, um, but this glory was slowly fading, fading away. Um, but when he'd go in to talk with the Lord uh, in the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies, um, he would take it away, okay? And it says, and Moses would put, put the veil back over his face again until he went in to speak with them. Now, back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul continues on after speaking of Moses in this ministry of condemnation. He goes on and he says in verse 17, and actually I think this verse might be on the back of your sheet. If you'll, yeah, at the very bottom on the back of your sheet. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse, verse 17, it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who have receive the Spirit, because now we're living under the new covenant, because Jesus has died, because Pentecost has happened, and the Spirit can now be poured out. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So he says there, we all, with unveiled face, what does he mean? 
Remember when Moses would go into the tabernacle? He would remove the veil and talk with the Lord, but then he'd come back out and he'd put the veil back on because the glory was fading away and it freaked the people out. What Paul is saying is that now that the Spirit has come, this better covenant that we have is we can continually, because the Holy Spirit lives in us, behold the glory of God, have fellowship with him, just like Moses did. And as we do this, we are changed. You cannot save you, and you cannot change you. But the Holy Spirit can. He is the only one. And because of this new covenant in which we live, for which Christ died to bring about, to purchase, I'm telling you this morning, folks, there is always hope. There's always hope. Because Jesus is alive, he has poured out his spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, what did it say? There is freedom. Freedom from sin. Freedom from death. No, not sinless perfection in this life. But the power of sin has been broken. And we're going to talk more about this. Not only did the Spirit come on Pentecost, fulfilling this festival in the Old Testament, just as important as Jesus dying and being our Passover lamb, and rising and being our first fruits. Not only does it bring life rather than death, but it's also now, it, the Spirit of God in the Old Testament, it, it, it only dwelt in the temple, in the Holy of Holies. That's why God created the whole tabernacle and the temple system, was to dwell with his people. The temple is no longer a place. It is a people. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So again, in Exodus chapter 40, when Moses finishes building the tabernacle, Exodus chapter 40, verse 33, and he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court, and it says, so Moses finished the work, important phrase. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Down in verse 38, it says, for the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Moses finishes the work, the fire of God, the glory of God falls down onto the tabernacle. Same thing when Solomon builds the temple, which was just like a permanent tabernacle built in Jerusalem. It says in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1, as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. He goes on and says, when all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped God and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. They dedicate the temple that Solomon builds. God's presence comes down as fire and fills the place to let the people know that his presence was really there. What happened on Pentecost when he now fills this new temple of his people? Fire comes down. And they begin to speak in other languages, praising God. That now the Spirit was going to come and bring a harvest from people, from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation, and bring them into the family of God. Now, Eric, why are you telling me all this? Because if I can just back up and remind you why, what I, my point I was trying to make here is it is an unbelievable privilege. It is a privilege to have 
the Holy Spirit, God himself living in you and in us. The Bible speaks of this new temple in two different ways. It speaks of it personally, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and it also speaks of it corporately, that the Spirit is in us corporately together as we come together to worship. Okay? And if you understand the great privilege of what Christ died to accomplish, the point is simply this. We should treat it with reverence and awe. We should every day wake up amazed that God, the Holy Spirit, lives in us. And all of our life should be centered around Spirit, what are you saying? What do you want me to do? Who do you want me to love? How do you want me to obey? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to say? But most of us, we have our agenda. We're just going to go about our life. And, you know, if, if the Holy Spirit wants to take along, then good for him. Amen? No amens on that one? It's a privilege. We need the Holy Spirit. And I've already touched on this, but he comes in power. Again, back to chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Get ready just to flip through the book of Acts. The Spirit comes, end of Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayers and awe, awe. I feel like I can't pronounce that word well. Awe, A-W-E, and awe, marvel, wonder, came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Again, the Spirit manifesting his power among them. Chapter 3, Peter and John are going up the temple to prayer. There's a beggar there who's crippled. Peter looks right at him, verse 6, and says, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he takes him by the hand and he helps him out up. And now this guy jumps up and what's he do? He begins leaping and praising God. God does a miracle. And people run together and verse 12 Peter says men of Israel why do you wonder at this or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk in other words Peter was never he didn't do any of this like that's right I'm the man of God I've got all the power look at me no it's like it's not, it's not us why are you looking at us this is God that did this that's who did this And then he stands up and he witnesses. The power of God is manifest so that we might be effective witnesses. Okay? Again, chapter 1, verse 8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Why? And you will be my witnesses. Witnesses speak of what they have seen, what they have heard, and what they have experienced, and what they know is true. That's what a witness does. That's what we are to do in the power of the Holy Spirit. The religious leaders don't like this very much. They have them arrested. They have them brought in. In Acts chapter 4, Peter stands up and testifies in front of them. 
chapter 4, verse 11. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, now listen, it says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, so they were filled with awe at their boldness, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Love that verse. Is that what set apart the early disciples was not just their, their academic prowess. It was a boldness given by the Holy Spirit to be able to stand up and boldly proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. Folks, we need the power of God. I want to share with you a couple of quotes. One from Jonathan Edwards, who lived back uh, in the 1700s in New England and um, was a part of the Great Awakening. That w- Usually the term that we would use today would be revival. Uh, and then another one by Sinclair Ferguson. L- let me read this one by Jonathan Edwards, and I just want to, I'm going to go through it kind of slow. I believe we've got it up on the screen. And I want to let you know that I believe this wholeheartedly, and I believe that it's so important that what he says here is so important. I completely agree with this. He says, It may be observed that from the fall of man to our day, the work of redemption in its effect has mainly been carried on by remarkable communications of the Spirit of God. Though there be a more constant influence of God's Spirit always in some degree attending to his ordinances... Yet, the way in which the greatest things have been done towards carrying on the work always has been by remarkable effusions at special seasons of mercy. Now, here's what he's saying. He's saying that throughout history, from the day of Pentecost, throughout history, throughout church history, there have been over and over again, there have been special waves of the Holy Spirit that have come, that have caused God's, that have carried the work of God and have built the church in remarkable ways. This is the primary thing that has carried the church forward for 2,000 years. Now, don't miss that middle sentence where he says, though there be a more constant influence of God's Spirit always in some degree attending to his ordinances. Here's what he's saying there. The Spirit of God, like I said earlier, he's always at work. He's always at work. We experience the work of the Spirit week to week. I experience the work of the Spirit every single week, not just in my own life, but in the lives of you. Many of you I, come and you, you share what God is doing, and we see that is the work of the Spirit, and I'm not minimizing it. But what I want to point out here, what I want us to be hungry for, what I want to, what I want to plead with you, is to understand that, folks, we need a fresh wave of God's Spirit. We need it. We need it, and it just, it, it breaks me. It try, my, I, I, I want it so badly. You say, well, Eric, you have the, you have the word of God. Isn't, isn't God moving? Yes, he's moving. We see him moving. Hear me. We see, like, we're baptizing, folks. We're seeing salvation. We're seeing him work in measure in people's lives. But the more I get into that work of discipleship, the more, I, the more I meet with people and I hear about the hurt and the pain, the more I say, God, please, please, please send your Holy Spirit the fresh wave of his power. This is not, I'm not talking about emotionalism. 
I'm not talking about fanaticism. I'm not talking about just dancing around or clapping a little more or working ourselves into a frenzy. I'm talking about the real spirit of God that changes people's lives. And if you don't think we need it, I I don't know what to tell you. Because we need it desperately. And as the people of God, we are to be crying out for it. And if God would be so pleased in his sovereignty and in his mercy to send us one of these, as Jonathan Edwards puts it, remarkable effusions and a special season of mercy, I'll take it. Does that make sense? Folks, we need the Spirit of God. And I... We... Listen, we, we do not grow weary in doing good. We remain faithful. We are always to be abounding in the work of the Lord, but it's not an either-or proposition. The Spirit of God is always at work. Again, I love this quote. He is always at work in some degree attending to his, to his ordinances as we open the word, as we pray. So we preach the gospel, as we witness, as we share, he's at work. But oh, for a remarkable effusion at a special season of mercy. It's what our country needs, but not just our country, folks. We need it here. We need it here. We need it desperately. Pentecost was a one-time event, but it sends out shockwaves throughout history. That's the way Sinclair Ferguson puts it. Here's another quote. Sinclair Ferguson says, the inaugural outpouring of the Spirit creates ripples throughout the world as the Spirit continues to come in power. Pentecost is the epicenter, but the earthquake gives forth further aftershocks. Those rumbles continue through the ages. Pentecost itself is not repeated, but, and I want you to listen carefully to this last sentence, but a theology of the Spirit which did not give rise to prayer for his coming in power would not be a theology of ruach, and that's the Hebrew word for spirit. Did you get that? Pentecost is not repeated, but it sends out tremors throughout history. These are these special remarkable effusions that Jonathan Edwards was talking about that he experienced in the Great Awakening that have happened throughout history, that happened during the Reformation, that happened in some degree to this, in the Second Great Awakening in America and in England and other places in the world. But that last sentence, that if you have a theology of the Spirit that doesn't cause you to pray for the coming of the Spirit and power, then you need to change your theology of the Spirit. Because we need him desperately to do what only he can do. Can I get an amen on that one? We so, we so need it. Paul says to the Thessalonian church, he says, we know, brothers, uh, that God loves you and has chosen you because the word came to you not just with words, but with power and with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction of sin. 
And I, I just, I, I don't have time, I gotta keep moving forward here, but like, I mean, you go throughout the book of Acts, just, just read the book of Acts at your own leisure and, and look at how the Spirit does things, sends wave after wave at different places. Like one of my favorite places that, that, or stories is the city of Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. What happened in Ephesus didn't happen in every other place. Paul would see salvation in, in varying measure and the churches would be established. But what happened in Ephesus was what was unique and it didn't happen everywhere. Uh, but, but the short of it is, is that revival came to Ephesus. <laughs> a special effusion, a remarkable effusion of special mercy came and, and a special door was opened for Paul there. In fact, he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, finishing up his letter to the Corinthian church. He says, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. He says, for a wide door for effective work has been opened to me. And there are many adversaries. You see, you see salvation, you see repentance, you see people that were into dark arts coming out and burning their scrolls, you see demonic strongholds being torn down, you see the gospel going forward, you see Paul lecturing daily in this hall that he rented because they booted him out of the synagogue and people were being discipled, there's teaching. Again, this is not, it's not, it's not is the spirit moving or are we focusing on the Bible? It's both, they work together. You see the Spirit doing remarkable things. This is what, this is what we need. Um, and I want us, I want you to know, like for those of you that come to prayer meeting on the first of the month on Wednesdays, we usually take a few requests, but you, you've heard me say this regularly. Well, like the thing that we're praying for is revival. We're praying that God would send a fresh wave of his Holy Spirit to change us. But not just the privilege and power, but also the practice here of the Holy Spirit. How do we, here, here's the question I want to answer, just day by day, day in and day out, and not just day by day, but hour by hour, how do you walk in the Spirit? What does it mean like to walk in the Spirit? Um, first of all, this is how the Bible refers to it as, as walking in the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, you might want to flip there. He says, look, verse 15, he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. He, he, he both compares and contrasts being filled with the spirit to being drunk with wine. What happens when you get drunk with wine or some sort of alcohol? You're under the influence of something else. You might say things you wouldn't usually say, do things you wouldn't usually do, but it's debauchery. But he says, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. So it's not just weird drunkenness where we're not, but yet we're under the control of something else. The Spirit of God. And this, and this is important here where I said we don't, a baptism is a one-time thing that happens at the beginning of salvation. It's what changes us. We're baptized into the body of Christ. But this language here, and you've heard me say this before, but it's of the utmost importance. He says, but be filled with the Spirit. The tense there in the Greek, it's, it's, it's literally, but be being filled. Be being filled. It is a moment-by-moment -moment thing that we that we do. This is why in other places like Galatians chapter 5 and in Romans chapter 8, and again, we just don't have time to look at all of them, but it talks about, when I say moment by moment, it talks about walking in the Spirit. Moment by moment or just step by step would be another way to say it. 
that we live moment by moment, step by step in the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, but I say walk by the Spirit. You will not gratify the cravings of the flesh. Um, <clears throat> let me go back to into Ephesians chapter, chapter 5, living moment by moment. How, how do we do this? A couple things real quickly and I'll wrap up. First of all, um, you need to think like a farmer and not a factory worker. Okay? So, what the Spirit produces in our life is, it, it, what I'm about to tell you here, I'm trying to make this practical at the same time, it's nothing that you can manufacture. You have to think like a farmer, not a factory worker. You're not, you're not manufacturing something, you're just cultivating. A farmer just cultivates. He plows the ground, he waters, he waits for the sun, he tends to it. If there's weeds, he, he pulls them out. We cultivate this life of the Spirit. The first thing is simply this, worship. It's all about worship. The Spirit wants you to worship Jesus. That's why we worship him in spirit and in truth. He came into our lives so that we could worship him rightly. Paul goes on there in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, and giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ is that one of the things that the Spirit wants to do is to worship, to worship Jesus. And if we know that that's where he's going, then we can set our course. If the goal is worship, then hey, let's go there. I, I, um, I was talking with the interns the other week, you know, we were talking about not, um, not just allowing our theological studies just to become an academic exercise. And one of the uh, things that I, I mentioned to him right away was you, you, you have to worship. You have to go sing, and you're like, I, I, I have a terrible voice. Go where no one can hear you. And, and I'm not, this isn't a, I don't know, it's not, any, it's, not, it's not a boast of any sort, but I'm just telling you, like, like practically, I literally will many times when I'm at the office studying, I will get up, and I'll go into the big room, and I'll, at, at the hub, and I'll just clink around on the keyboard. Da, da, da. It's not pretty, but you know, I just, da. and I sing. Why? Because it's not an academic exercise only. It's a relationship with the Savior, and all theology leads to doxology. Do you do that? It's okay if you don't play guitar. It's okay if you can't play keyboard. Get up. Where it says walk in the Spirit, and I, I want to admit that this is not like, it's a metaphor for walking step by step with the Spirit. But I'm tr again, I'm trying to give you some practicals. Get up out of your seat, go outside, and go on a walk. And uh, it's, it's not a metaphor. I'm being serious. Um, get up and go on a walk and just worship. Go on a walk and just praise Him. Thank Him. Sing to Him. Make melody to the Lord. If you can't sing, hum. Mm -hmm. Making melody to the Lord in your heart, it says. Do you do this? The Spirit wants you to worship Jesus moment by moment. It's about worship. It's about the Word. Colossians chapter 3 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom 
singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Again, notice how he mentions psalms there in Colossians, just like he did in Ephesians. Right? Again, it's a parallel passage, um, but he mentions letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. There is a reason why the largest book in the Bible and the book that is right at the center of your Bible is the book of Psalms. Psalms is simply truth put to music or written in poem form so that you would sing it and quote it and recite it back to God in fellowship with him. There is a reason why it's the largest book in the Bible. Worship, get the word down in you, walk, move. Galatians chapter 5, very quickly, let me just read it. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. Listen to the language he uses. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing what you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, so he says, walk by the Spirit, but now he says, if you are led by the Spirit. So on your walk with God, who's, who's, who's deciding where you go? Who's leading? The Spirit, not you. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, and he lists a bunch there, and then he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And then he says, if we live by the Spirit, so we walk by the Spirit, we're led by the Spirit, we bear the fruit of the Spirit, and if we live by the Spirit, then it says, let us keep in step with the Spirit. An interesting detail here, very beautiful imagery. He says, walk by the Spirit, and that's one word in the Greek, but it's a different word where he says, keep in step with the Spirit. The idea for walking in the Spirit that he uses at the beginning is that we're just walking with the Spirit. It's what you think of when you think of walk. But when he says, keep in step with the Spirit, it's more the idea of a soldier keeping locked up, right? You've seen soldiers march before, you know, very chop-chop, okay? Well, what, what happened, you know, if, if some guy's just like, you know, walking along, then while everybody else is marching, it doesn't, it doesn't fit. He's saying, do your best to keep step in step with the Spirit, to walk with Him. Again, moment by moment and step by step, letting Him lead, letting Him bring life. Worship, the word, it's a walk. And again, as I've already mentioned, we must be witnesses. That power comes so that we can witness. Worship team, you can come up. I gotta close. I know I'm going long. How do we end this? Well, here's how we should end this, I think. And we'll do it because I'm the one with the microphone. If we could for just a second. But hopefully not just a second. Hopefully we'll begin to do this in greater measure. Again, not that we haven't already. But I want us to pray. I want us to pray. And and I I, I want us to pray for God to send a remarkable effusion at a special season of mercy. A fresh wave of his spirit. And I want you just to be honest with you, please. If your Christian life is only marked by your best white-knuckled effort to get it done, but you're not actually getting it done, that's a miserable place to be. Miserable. And I'm not, I hear, I'm not mad at you. My heart breaks for you. 
Because that's what so many people grow up in church are taught. That being a Christian is, you better try really hard. It's about the Spirit of God taking control of your life. And I want us to pray for a remarkable effusion of His Spirit in a special season of mercy. But if you are just being honest with you, and your Christian life is only marked by your best efforts, which really aren't going that well, I want you to pray that the Holy Spirit would do something new in your life. Ask him to fill you. Ask him to walk with you. Tell him that you want to walk with him in a new way. It's different than what you've done before. And hopefully I've showed you on the basis of God's word this morning that he will do that. And that he wants to do that. And so I would encourage you to ask that in faith, knowing that he's able. So would you please just bow your heads and pray with me? Father, thank you for giving us this promise. Thank you, Jesus for purchasing this promise, this gift. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are willing to come and to be in us. Lord, we need you. We just, in all that's been said this morning, Lord, it all comes down to that. We need you. And Lord, we have, I'm sure everyone here has tasted what we can produce, what man can produce, and it's not much. But you are able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. So Father, we ask that you do that. I ask also for those, God, that the majority of their Christian life has been marked by them just trying really hard in their own effort and not in the power of the Spirit. Would you just switch that? Would you teach them how just to walk with, walk with you? And Lord, all of us need that. I, I, I need it, God. I, I, there's still times where my efforts take over. Lord, you know that. Lord, please, Fill us with your spirit and be honored and glorified among us. And would you please send a special wave? We need it in our day. We need it in our time. We need it in this place in which we live. And we need it in our country and in our world. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You guys stand with me and we'll sing.